Hello, and welcome to the Stories About My Ass podcast, Field Notes in Film, Glamping, and Miniature Donkey Ownership. I'm your host, Brandon Dickerson, and if you have been looking for discussions on film, filmmaking, glamour camping, boutique retreats, thoughtful living, and farm animals, you have come to the right place. Today on our show, we have the incredibly talented Amy Acker, who you know from film and TV, shows like Angel and Person of Interest, films like Much Ado About Nothing and Cabin in the Woods. I'm sure you've seen her in Seronia. Maybe not. That was my first film and when I first got to know her. And we will be discussing her new film, Amanda and Jack Go Glamping, where Amy plays Amanda opposite David Arquette's Jack. I'm the writer and director of that film, and I literally wrote the script for Amy to play Amanda. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation today. You know, I, I think it, I do feel like David and I built up a, a relationship over the course of, of the movie. And so I remember sort of being nervous around him that day a little bit like, oh, I hope this goes well. But before we get to that, I like to start with a story. And you probably don't know how a kid growing up in Southern California came to own a miniature donkey. At the point at which I was hoping to turn my commercial and music video career into a feature film career, my wife's mom got cancer and was given a very short time to live, which inspired us to move to care for her in Waco, Texas. Now, as wonderful as that was for us as a family, if you're trying to build your feature film career, I would say Waco, Texas is top five least places that you want to move to from Hollywood. Now imagine Waco at this time, this is pre-FU, totally pre-Fixer Upper, before Waco was cool, and we moved to Waco. And what happened was this wonderful thing, while we were caring for Kirsten's mom, I began to write with Thomas Ward and Wes Cunningham, and that became my first film, Seronia, which of course stars Amy Acker with Wes Cunningham. So after Seronia came out and a tender season with our family caring for Kirsten's mom in her last days, we decided to move to Austin. So for a wide variety of reasons, partly the idea of living simply and partly the idea of living in a tiny home and the fact that in Texas, you could actually buy land for not a lot of money. We fell in love with this land outside of Austin by about 25 miles in Elgin, Texas, and got rid of about 80% of our stuff and restored a 1955 Spartan trailer and a 1965 Airstream Overland, and that became home for our family in just a few hundred square feet. We called the land Green Acres for obvious reasons. We were city folk living on land who had no idea what we were doing. So the first thing that we did logically was build a half pipe skate ramp so I could relive some sort of childhood dream slash midlife crisis. And once that was built, Kirsten revealed that her childhood dream was to own small land animals. Now, you've tuned into this podcast because you wanna know the inside scoop on miniature donkey ownership. Two questions that I know you have is one, where do you find a miniature donkey? And two, how much does it cost? The way that we found miniature donkeys was on Craigslist and the cost, including delivery, was $20 each. That's right, miniature donkey ownership begins on Craigslist and ends with $20 delivered. 
And the deal I made with Kirsten was once we handed over 40 Abrahams, I got to name the donkeys. And the gray donkey looked like the donkey from Shrek. So of course we named that donkey Donkey. And the darker donkey I decided should be called Yodi so that together they would be Donkey Yodi. See what I did there? I remember our first day together, I was thinking this is too good to be true. You just pet them and take pictures with them and feed them carrots and they eat the grass and they poop and give you fertilizer for other things around your land. They were amazing. That is until the first morning that we woke up and they were gone. They had escaped. We finally found them further down on our property and wrangled them back in. And at some point I can tell you what it takes to wrangle a donkey back into a field. But after we did that right away, they escaped again. They found another place in the fence that they could get through. And that pattern continued for about a week until we finally got to meet our neighbors because they called us and said, your donkeys are on the highway. And at that point, Kirsten said to me, It is time for you to secure the donkey fence once and for all. So I went to Tractor Supply Hardware and started looking up all the tools that I would need to truly secure the fence. And I came back with a bag of farming accoutrement and laid it all out, looked into the animal's eyes and said, it is on like Donkey Kong and began to tighten the fence in one area with a ratchet in my right hand and a YouTube video explaining how to do it in the other. And then I would go to the next pole and the next pole and the next pole the entire time while Donkey and Yodi watched me sweat my way through what seemed to me to be my first real accomplishment as the owner of a gentleman's ranch. I go fence post after fence post after fence post and finally collapse in exhaustion on a tree stump and grab my phone to call my wife to let her know the victory that I have just achieved. And as I call my wife and let her know that Handyman Brand has saved the day, Donkey and Yodi look at me and then look at each other as if to say he's on the phone with her. It's time. And they come right by my feet and they knock the fence down with their nose and go right under it like a badass. My wife wonders why I stop bragging and I just tell her I will call her back. The donkeys have won. There are many, many more stories about my attempts to secure the donkey field, but I can let you know that my victory finally came in the form of an electric fence only after I electrocuted myself on two occasions. And now my interview with the incredible Amy Acker. Hello, Amy. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. (laughs) So you are in Atlanta? I am in Atlanta. Great. Yes. So what are you filming there? It's a show for Fox with Marvel called The Gifted. Um, It's an X-Men sort of X-Men family drama. And did Brian, Brian Singer did the pilot, right? He did. He did the pilot. And then we had another big movie director, Lynn Weissman, do the second episode. And now we're at Cranking Away. That's great. Um, this film, Amanda and Jack Go Glamping, for those listening, I wrote the role for you. You may not even know this, that I actually, when writing, I just wrote it Amy. And then I think right before I sent it to you, I changed it to Amanda. Oh, I <laughs> And so 
yeah, when you when you first saw it, that it just made it easier for me to write that way. Tell me how you first. Well, actually, go way back. When did you first know you wanted to act? Because I don't even know if I know this story. Yeah, see, well, I mean, I wanted to be a dancer. That's right. You have um, a ballet background, right? I I took ballet as a kid, and and I tried to con parents to let me like drop out of school and go to like ballet school and they were not feeling that but this is all a random story but I got bit by a spider I think I told you this a brown recluse when I was like seven and was paralyzed for two weeks from the neck down so then when I was 13 I had to stop dancing because I had surgery on my knee and blah 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 but um in that time I started taking a theater class and I was super super shy but I kind of realized once I got to say words that other people wrote and get to become, I, I like talking that way. And I like, I just really loved acting and had a really great high school theater teacher who is Nancy Pointer. And she, um, she just always chose really interesting, like challenging plays. And she would take us to New York every spring break and we would see like 10 plays in seven days or something crazy like that. Um, so she really made me fall in love with acting. That's amazing. And when did you, you started in Dallas. At what point did you, did you audition for Angel from there? Or did you then go to LA? No, because I, um, I ended up going to SMU for theater. And after that, I worked at a Shakespeare company up in Wisconsin for about six months. And then I moved to New York thinking I was going to do theater and ended up getting cast in a very um, uh, not great MTV pilot. Nice. That was like the first MTV pilots they ever made. And it was called Hell House. And I awesome. was a girl in a wheelchair. And all I know, the only thing I remember from it is the one line was someone looked at me and said, I always wondered where they got the saying bitch on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> and that was you. And that was me. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a great start. I love that. But yeah, so then I moved out to L.A. after that. Um, got Angel. I got out there. And you introduced me at the Much Ado screening at South by. I got to meet Joss. And the, the funny thing was, you may recall, though, I joked with you because I'd seen Much Ado, which you guys went to his house and shot after he did Avengers, right? Yeah, we, we shot that movie. We kind of secretly shot it. He was supposed to be editing Avengers and he was going to go on a family vacation. And he decided last minute, um, his wife convinced him that they should make this movie instead. And so while he was, he called us like two weeks before and said, I want to make a movie of Much Ado. And I think um, we all thought, it was not like a real movie. Like it was just going to be us hanging out at John and like messing around. And then we showed up and there was catering and, and costumes and film. Like, oh, we're making a, a, an actual movie. So was, That's amazing. Exciting. That's great. Yeah, the comparison I made, I said, remember how you shot at uh, director's home? Because yes. we. <laughs> I've done that twice. I know. <laughs> Two times you've shot at a director's home in a film. But we were, of course, living at Green Acres. Tell me your impressions. I'd given you a little bit about the script. I told you that 
the role you know, was, was yours, please. And uh, not making any assumption that you would want to do the film, what grabbed you when you first read the script? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, I had been sort of stalking you guys on Instagram with the Green Acre. <laughs> so I, I was following the whole move and, and it just hearing all the crazy stories about buying a yurt and getting donkeys and you were writing that amazing blog, which was just cracking me up. And I loved that. So when I got the script, I, I saw so much of like, what I imagined Green Acres to be was in there. And it was like, oh, this is like the golden ticket. You get to go to Green Acres. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just such a fun part. I I've, I really like doing comedy and I don't get to do that much of it a lot of times. So it was really exciting to me. The script was so funny and, and sweet. And also, you know, I just had everything. There was all sorts of great scenes and um yeah i i think i knew how much i loved working with you as a director and i <laughs> would just sign up for that any day so i was i was already sold before i read <laughs> That's the script great. i'm glad yeah it went uh Tronia was so we had such a great time on that film and certainly um my second film was very different you weren't puerto rican i tried to write you into victor but <laughs> it didn't work out so, and then I did a documentary, so I'm glad that this worked out. I get asked this all the time, and I bet you will when the film comes out, but tell me about working with David Arquette. You know, I was excited. My husband had worked with David Arquette. They had done Rocky Horror Picture Show in L.A. in a theater on Sunset in, like, 1999, yeah. and that was before I met my husband, but... I had heard so much about this production and how amazing it was and how, you know, like uh, James met one of our, our best friends now, Neil Patrick Harris, because he came backstage and befriended them all because he loved going, he saw the show so many times and, you know, it was, I had heard all of these sort of, it just seemed like this magical time where like, and David Arquette was there and this, you know. I was like, oh, I have my own David Arquette stories. And yeah, so when he, I think I was a little surprised by just how sweet and kind and like soft and caring. And he was just so wonderful to every person set in the crew, in the cast. And he, I mean, I just, I felt like, it was really lucky that we got to have him there with us. Yeah, I felt the same way. You know, both of you, it was a joy to direct the two of you together. It was, I feel like you brought so much to the party. It was amazing. Oh, it was really fun getting to do it with with both of you as well and, and getting to do the scenes with him. It did feel like he, from what I read and then what he brought to it, I was like, oh, I, I a lot of times I didn't think of it that way. And then it seemed like such the right choices every time. So it was yeah. fun. I'm going to show you a scene. I'm doing this with everybody. And okay. then and then we'll talk about it. I said, you know, I hate watching myself. I'm doing it on my phone. So I'll show you way <laughs> far away. You can just listen to it. It sets up the whole, you've just decided to go on this glamping retreat at an obvious uh, savior marriage kind of thing. This is just the car ride on your way. This is like the very first scene we filmed, right? Wasn't it? 
This was the end of our first day. All right, I'll play it and then we can talk about it. How could your brother say that in front of the girls? His crib had lead paint. Who does that? Can we please start this trip with a clean slate? Okay. Sorry. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. <laughs> Breakfast club? Ooh, close. Same director a year later. Uh, Ferris Bueller's day off. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> okay, your turn. Oh, uh, um. <laughs> so good. My turn. Aww. <laughs> Sweet. That makes me wish we were still filming. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a fun scene. We were cramped in the car. I was hiding right behind you. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. You guys were all in the, in the trunk. Yeah, there was like one shot where I think my hand was in the shot because I was directly <laughs> behind you guys. Yeah, it was so, the set was just such a fun, we had such a good time on the film and I feel like it ends up on screen. And you always remind me that you do all these roles where you have guns and you're like a badass. <laughs> and I always cast you as sweet and heartfelt with a, you know, comedy and the comedy in this is so, so funny. And then of course the depth that you give to the relationship and the characters, phenomenal. And, um, tell me about that scene. It was day one and that's a hard thing to do. You know, I, I think it, I do feel like David and I built up a, a relationship over the course of of the movie. And so I remember sort of being nervous around him that day a little bit like, Oh, I hope this goes well. And by the end of it, we realized how silly he was. And, and, you know, he was always making jokes. And, um, I think I just remember feeling a little like first day jitters on that day, which was perfect because, and sort of by design, because that is your relationship in need of healing, you know, like in the beginning, like there's obviously a disconnect and you're not on the same page. So it kind yeah, of, it was perfect. You thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I think of things you, like that. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was still really fun. It was fun having the little girls there. It was fun getting to have the whole family there and my brother who was not very nice and you know and it was just um it was it seemed like that that was kind of the only real like it was all these people who worked for that one day and it was the first day and then we didn't see them again because right, right. um, that was we were shooting <laughs> austin for san francisco so we had to find a place that looked like it was in san francisco or the bay area yeah. where you guys from movie magic movie magic. Something that's hilarious that um, I have experienced since working with you is I have a very small but passionate Asian fan base because I've worked with you. So tell me about you're kind of you're kind of a big deal in Asia. <laughs> well, I um I, yeah, I got super lucky getting to play this part on Person of Interest and it was a really um, kind of culty show in China. And so I've gotten to meet some really amazing fans from China and got to go to China um, with my whole family and take a 
we took like a 13 day trip there and got to meet so many of the fans and um yeah it was pretty pretty incredible and they have since the show they're always really encouraging and loving and i'm always getting just great messages from china and i um yeah i like to say i'm huge in china you are huge in china which is near and dear you know our daughter is adopted from china and we've been several times so we have this love for china as well and so it's fun that um that blog that you talk about i may have told you this one of your fans wanted to translate the blog the stories about my ass blog into chinese yeah i know but but what's hilarious is i said absolutely you can do this and they said your writing is like tea it takes a while to get into it but then you really enjoy it that's just I said, oh, is that a compliment? I, I, I'll take it. Well, they drink a lot of tea in China, so that's true. I think that's a compliment. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'll take it. Well, tell me what's next. I mean, you're pretty much going to be all gifted all the time for right now, right? Well, we are shooting here until December. So, yeah, here through the end of the year. That's great. Well, I can't wait to see it. And I'm very, very excited for people to see you as Amanda in Amanda Jack Go Glamping. I'm excited to see that too. My conversation with Amy Acker will continue as we discuss her show, The Gifted, and themes of prejudice found in the Marvel universe that she is in. Also, retreats in Costa Rica, as well as what food in her family means and how that gives her an opportunity to gather friends around the table. But first, let's walk over to my 17-year-old's room where he tells us, as a young cinephile, films that he thinks we all need to see. Okay, welcome to the Mason Movie Minute coming to you live from Mason's bedroom where he has an interesting poster of Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. And then you also have a pillow of Bill Murray. But he's in like a Napoleon outfit. So it's like Napoleon, but it's Bill Murray. All right. What is our movie for this week? Our movie for this week is Yee Yee. Yee Yee. How are you spelling that? Y I space Y I. Yee Yee. Who and is it- the director? Edward Yang is the director, and this movie came out in 2000. It's from Taiwan, and it was kind of in the canon of the Taiwanese new wave. And Yi Yi approximately translates to a one and a two, if I remember. And the movie's really long, and it's really slow, but it basically just follows this family in Taiwan and their grandma. I think it's like the grandma of the family's sick, and so they're all kind of coping with that and just coping with living in the city and kids growing up and coming of age. And it's also like midlife crisis with the grownups. And there's just a lot of life stuff in this movie. And it's just kind of like a very slow and patient exploration of being alive. And, you know, it doesn't really operate in like a big, like crescendo and like climax. And then like finale, it's just a very slow, like peaceful glide through life. And it's really beautiful. Is it black and white? It is not. It is in color. And it's very it's very well shot. How long is Yee Yee? Like three hours. Got it. And where is it available to watch? Well, Criterion picked it up a while ago. So 
You can watch Yee Yee on Filmstruck if you have a subscription to that. That's great. I think you can get, if you still have a DVD, Netflix. Oh, yeah. You could also definitely rent it from there. It's also for sure on Amazon. Too. Okay. Yeah. Or you could go to the Blockbuster. Which and doesn't exist. I know. I know. You would have loved Blockbuster. But Blockbuster is no more. Because of that, you can stream Yee Yee. And <laughs> nice and segue. Thank you. Yeah. Did you like that? <laughs> I did. Um, there you go. All right, Mason. Proud of you. Thank you. The Mason Movie Minute. So, uh, talking about Gifted, I, I had a question for you. So, we've been watching it as a family, and we've been enjoying it very much. And mm, and yet, thank and, you. yeah, no, you're great, and it sparks all of these conversations in our family about prejudice. Yeah. And so I was interested. I, I'm I'm certain that that's not a, a revelatory <laughs> insight. <laughs> like we're not the first ones to notice that theme. But tell me a little bit about that because every time we watch an episode, we're kind of applying it, even though it's fantasy and Marvel and uh, in the X Men universe, we're actually talking about kind of current events related to prejudice. So tell tell me your mm-hmm. thoughts on that. Well. The X-Men universe was set up originally by Stanley as a sort of allegory for the civil rights movement. And then Brian Singer did the movies. It became a sort of a voice for, for gay rights. And so it's always had that sort of thing that it's standing up for the other and um, speaking out against prejudice or or just just addressing that that's kind of the history of of X-Men franchise in general. So I, I think going into the show they gave us very little information as far as what the show was going to be and our characters and the script and you know it's Marvel but very secretive and you had to everyone had fake names and fake sides and you couldn't read the script and all this stuff but the the one thing that was at the core of it all that that we knew was that that sort of idea of speaking out against prejudice was at the center of the of the story um and then and just you know every day you read the newspaper it seems to become more and more timely unfortunately it would seem like most of these issues would not be stuff we would still be needing to talk about, but they, they just seem like it's so appropriate to what's going on in the news and in our country and other places around the world. And it's, it's been fun to get to have scenes. There, there was a scene in episode two where I was driving in the car with Sean and, and we were in between takes. He was reading Twitter and I, I it was like a story came out that he was reading and I was like, that's the exact scene we're doing. Like it was about healthcare and who gets healthcare and all of this. And so, so it's been interesting to be able to show that through this, you know, like you said, genre, otherworldly superpower lens instead of just like talking about it straight out. But it, but I think the thing that's most exciting about it is that we have so many different points of views that there's the family that hasn't really had to 
are has chosen not to deal with this and there's the mutants who have grown up this way and there's the sentinel service officer who something has happened to his family and Lincoln sort of explains his prejudice and there's just the other people who kind of fall in line because that's the societal norm but it's nice to to be able to have these conversations on the show that challenge everyone's beliefs and kind of get people to see it from a different view. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, I'm sure when they, in fact, I think early on when you knew you were doing the show, even that climate was not the climate we're in now. So it's as exactly. if they've... Yeah, they started developing this well before Trump was elected. So it, it didn't seem like... I don't think they knew how relevant it was going to be. No, I couldn't have imagined. And and it almost feels, at times, it's so, just so many direct comparisons. Like you said, probably in in the car and you're doing a scene and it's happening in real time. And it, it, it just makes the show all that more important. Rather than entertainment, now it's become just, at times like this, I think you need art to give you a step back so that you can have these conversations and we kind of need to be talking about your character who's something happens in your family and all of a sudden it becomes personal and that gives uh, people the ability to kind of have these conversations. And I'm hopeful that people are having this conversation, but you are probably in the middle of this. Yes, Stephen Moyer and I have been just fighting to make it so that we we keep having those conversations and, and so much of the show happened so quickly where we go on the run that we wanted to kind of revisit how sort of the human element of, of how people who aren't the mutants, but who are affected by this and, and show them being able to change their point of view and, and question the decisions they had made before and, and all of that. So, yeah. It's, it's just been great. Just the idea of the other and it, it sort of gives you a variety of ways to look at the way people view the other and then even mm-hmm. some empathy for how folks get there. Like you said, with the, the, uh, guy that's kind of chasing you, you know, there's something there that in his backstory that led to yeah. his, his kind of prejudice. And that gives you some understanding and certainly, and sadly you can apply it to not only others, but your own life. And you as always do a great, great job. Oh, thank you. Well, I know you balance a wide variety of things. You're a mother and a wife and you have great friends and your family and then you're on shows and then you even support things that you believe in as we've got to experience ourselves. How do you find time and rhythm to do the re's? And I joke about that I love all words that begin with re, re restore, <laughs> reflect, <laughs> renew, relax, reboot. How do you do that? Hmm. Well, I, I think right now working out of town, I've, I've just made it a real priority to, to go home. I, I'm flying a lot, but just making sure that I get to go back. I, I've been going almost every weekend just to kind of rejuvenate and restore and be with my family and, and sort of just make check in and, and it's just being home and with my family and friends and, and my sister shares a backyard fence with us and my nieces. And we, we just 
being around them is is such the thing that that keeps us going that it, it keeps me going and so I've, I've just made it a real priority to make sure I get back any chance I can even if it's just for a night that's great rejuvenate I love it what <laughs> um you guys as a family or the two of you what does a, a getaway look like or what's the ideal retreat one that either you've done or one that you hope to do <laughs> well we have a little um place in Costa Rica that we've been now a couple of times and pretty much any time we think we're going to get to go away we we try to get there it's just it's a really removed it's this little area called Punta Slita and we discovered that it takes the whole Hamilton album to get from the airport to there <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that it's, it's really isolated and there's um the really cool thing about it is the town is really integrated into this hotel and they've the people who have gone to this hotel over the years have have really given back to the community and they've developed like an art center where they have all these local artisans who are you know teach you can go and learn things the kids can go and learn things they've built a school they've built a church there is a bartender who was at the hotel for like 20 years and and the last time we were there he had finally saved up enough money to open a restaurant with his mom and wife and we went there every night and we were like we want to we want to invest. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but it's amazing. It's just such like a sense of community and you feel like, I, I don't know, it's, it's just a really special place. That sounds like the perfect place to unplug. <laughs> yeah, it is. Is there surfing? Yeah. Nice. Actually, there's surfing right there. And then the next little cove over is like scary surfing like giant giant waves like people come from all over to go well that's incredible that sounds like the perfect place to renew restore i'm glad you guys have that as a family yeah. so uh you said that there's this incredible restaurant and for me uh and our family you know food can become this incredible time around a table and kind of becomes not just nourishment but restoration so mm -hmm. i know you guys you were on a food show tell me about that and then the way food sort of plays a role in your family as well our friend david burtka did a, a pilot for food network and they centered it around he centered it around james's birthday so we got to have a he got a, a double birthday that year and we, we got to be part of the the pilot of David's show. But yeah, we we are really big into cooking and, and entertaining and I mean we I would say we cook four to five nights a week at home and usually three or four of those nights we invite people over. So That's great. We we always have um a full dinner table and you know even if it's I guess we don't we don't really give the pressure of like having a dinner party with it being super fancy we like to do that sometimes too but just if we happen to have extra or something we'll call any of our, our friends in the neighborhood and say you want to come over for dinner and um we you know people it always surprises me because we'll have 
parents of, of that we don't know too well of our our kids friends and they'll, they'll come and we're setting the table for dinner and usually Ava or Jack does something puts the napkins out and someone else gets the drinks and he's like you guys do this every night <laughs> we're like, yeah, we do we always that, that has become one of the the staples you know we always try to make sure that we gather around the table and get to check in with everybody oh that's so great i love that and i love that you share it i love that you not only have that sort of rhythm for your family and and for your kids and in a world of you know screen time and distraction from each other just that idea of the table bringing you together and then you sharing that with others is just beautiful i love that which it's amazing you're doing that in la because david and i were talking about la and finding community in la is difficult and i feel like those that survive and thrive are those that found their little neighborhood their community because I feel very blessed about that. I mean, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to move back from New York is that feeling that that we have such a good group of friends and no, everyone's it's always feels just really easy. It really feels like family, our our group of friends there. And, and both of my sisters live there too. So some of them are family, but that's, the thing I love most about LA is our, our community there. Two last questions for you. One is a movie that you saw in the last year that you loved and why? Oh my goodness. Why is that such a hard question? We ask the hard questions on this podcast. No, I've seen, (laughs) I might have to, I'm trying to, you know what I just watched on the plane that I had never seen Hmm. is woman of the year. (laughs) Catherine Hepburn. Oh, I haven't seen that. Old, old movie. It was great. I've never seen it. Tell me about it. I've like exhausted all of my plain movies. And so I'm now into the classics. That's great. (laughs) That's great. I think just watching um, her and, you know, having it. I don't know. I, I don't watch those. I don't watch the classic movies enough anymore. I, I feel like I used to love doing that when I was in college. And now it's like whatever's on Netflix, I, I end up watching with the kids. So I, I mostly see lots of bad movies about puppies and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Catherine Hepburn, a film growing up that I loved was On Golden Pond. Do you remember oh, that film? Yeah. 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 I think it was like 1981. That would have been... Yeah, have you shown that to the kids? I haven't, but I wonder if films that I loved as a kid like that would translate. But that would be a good one because I was pretty young when I saw it. The last yeah. thing that I that I like to talk about is, other than a miniature donkey, because we already had that one covered, your favorite farm animal. Oh, gosh. I mean, the, the alpacas were pretty good. And That's so were the, what were the chickens that were very... Fluffy. Oh looking. yeah, they're the um, silkies, <laughs> the silkies. Yeah, and it's, the silkies. Yeah, and they were named um, the the silky that's in the film was named Bowie, the the blonde one, and then um, yeah. it was Bjork and Bowie, and then <laughs> uh, the red chickens are named Bet and Molly for Molly Ringwald and Bet Midler. I remember Molly. 
<laughs> yeah, so we still have Molly and Bet, but shortly after the film, we were having a uh, one of those slow food, slow fashion uh, meals, like like you guys did in uh, L.A. at David's place. Yeah, we were doing yeah. that at Green Acres, and I couldn't find Bowie, and then sadly, I found a bunch of feathers in oh, the no. back, and Kirsten's getting the the dinner ready, and I am over there looking. And I was in charge, and I knew that like a hawk or something had had gotten Bowie. So I pretended that everything was fine, and then after the the dinner, let it be known that I think Bowie had gone on. And (laughs) And hopefully, y'all didn't eat chicken for dinner. (laughs) Kirsten cannot. uh, Now that we own chickens, Kirsten can't eat chicken. Oh, because yeah, she views them as pets. We eat their eggs a ton, but. She is, I don't know what the word for it is when you're chicken free, but she is not into huh. chickens, which, you know, those that are really into the farm to table and that kind of thing think we're, you don't name your pets. You don't name your Bet. food, I guess is what they say. Yeah. Bet and Molly come running to her and have her pick <laughs> them up. It's unbelievable. It's like Snow White times 10, but with chickens. <laughs> well, Amy, I cannot wait for us to get to celebrate Amanda and Jack go glamping and for people to see you in that role, which you know, I'm not shy about saying you're incredible as Amanda. So, thank you. I'm so excited. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Take care, Amy. <laughs> Bye. 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 As you may know, my 13 year old daughter is an aspiring chef, and I always like to share with you something tasty from May Lee. All right, what are we making today? Today we are making patachou which is also known as cream puffs. The ingredients you will need will be a stick of butter, one cup of water, a pinch of salt, four eggs, and one cup of flour. To start off the recipe, you will put the butter in a saucepan with the water and a pinch of salt and put it on medium heat until it's all combined. Okay, the butter's melting. Yeah, but it needs to go to a boil Mm. and then we can add it. So after your butter and water is combined, you'll add your cup of flour until it turns into sort of a roux. And then after that's all combined, you'll let it sit in a bowl till it gets cool. And then you'll add your eggs one at a time, making sure each one's incorporated so that um, it's all mixed up and you won't have pieces of baked egg. Um, Your end product will most likely look like It's kind of like a dough, kind of like a batter. It's in between. It's like a spreadable dough or... Spro. Yeah. It's a shapeable batter. Got it. So it's kind of in between. Can you make it into funny shapes or... Um, you can, but it'll kind of like ooze down. Mm -hmm. So it it won't really hold its shape. Typically for a patachou recipe, you want to use all-purpose flour. Not really wheat flour, rice flour, because it doesn't have the same texture or taste as regular all-purpose flour. Okay, so this will bring to a boil. That looks amazing. And mix it. Just beat it! Turn it off for a second. I need to continue mixing. So I put all the whipped cream in a piping bag and you poke holes in the bottom of the cream puff and then you fill them. 
Mm. These look good. How was it? <laughs> Mom ate the first one before we were ready. What's the verdict? <laughs> so good. So these are the golden brown ones. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can wait. You can have that one. Okay, can I eat it? I'm eating one right now. Oh my gosh. Too good. Okay, Mason's going in. That's pretty good. <laughs> this has been Cooking with May Lee. May Lee, that was crazy tasty. As promised, we always end our show with a little bit of insider information into reasonably sized farm animals. And today, I let you know that a miniature donkey is not a pony. Now you're probably saying, Brandon, I could have just looked on the Google and found out that a pony is a small horse. But let me tell you that I am telling you that a miniature donkey is not a pony from a place of authority because I actually directed a My Little Pony promo for Hasbro. I was trusted with casting the real life version of the Equestria Girls to bring them to life in a frenemy musical battle between the Rainbooms and the Dazzlings at the main event. Now, not to brag, but I can tell you the distinct difference between Twilight Sparkle, Pinkie Pie, and Applejack as I learned that friendship is indeed magic. Now, did Bronies try to contact me to get insider information on the real-life Equestria Girls? That's a story for another time. That's our show for today. The Sama Podcast is produced by Chris Mann, Jeff Carpenter, and myself. I hope you tune in next week when you'll hear... You can imagine when we did this, a lot of my friends from California were saying, WTF, why the farm?